Hallelujah. Yeah. Okay. I really feel joined to you guys here. You know, I, I get to go to a lot of churches, and, you know, I like to, I got the greatest job in the world. You know, I love, get to do what I want to do, but I, I don't really, you know, feel responsible to keep ongoing relationships with a lot of them, and what I really do with you guys, you know, I feel connected in heart, and I like to know what's going on here. There's about a handful of churches that I always like to know what's going on, and how the leader's doing, and how's their family's doing, and I really feel connected with you guys. It's blessed. You know, because I get to see so many churches, um, I really enjoy trying to understand where they're all coming from. And I get to be in all different denominations, all different independent churches. Um, And so, you know, for 28 years, you accumulate a lot. Plus, I get overseas, and I love to think about the different cultures, how they look at Christianity. Um, That's my love, to figure out how people express their Christianity. Um, And that's one of my, you know, greatest enjoyments when I read the scriptures because I try to say, okay, well, this would mean something different to, you know, the people in Lebanon, and this would mean something different to the people in Africa, and this would mean something different, you know, to Las Vegas, another country, you know, that's how it is. So um, because of that, you know, I'm always trying to broaden my understanding, um, and, you know, it it helps me. It's what I love to do. And I want to present to you uh, three, uh, four primary ways. I'm not going to teach long today, okay? Uh, I'll teach for a while, and I hope I can minister prophetically over some of you. But I just want to present to you four different ways of Christianity, how they look at the Scriptures, and it's what we call their worldview. Four different Christian worldviews. A worldview is the way you look at life. It's the way you look at the world. And everyone in this room, you've got a worldview. You've got a way through, look, you look at the world, a lens through you look at it. And that includes how you look at the Bible, how you look at the past, how you look at the future, how you look at your neighbors. It's your worldview. It's your frame of reference. And so when I go into all these different churches, I like to know what's their worldview because I'm communicating with them. And I want to make sure that we're on the same page. And there's four different worldviews that are really important to me. And if you've got a Bible, you can go to Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. Each of these four different worldviews, um, they have truth. They are true. They're all from the Scriptures. And they all reveal truth. And you've, to various degrees, have been exposed to all four. But different churches will emphasize one of the four views. They will specialize in one of the four. And I'm hoping that I can encourage you along the fourth view that I'm going to be presenting to you. But that's not to get rid of the other three. It's simply to say, okay, let's mature even into the fourth view. So when I talk about these different views, the first one would just be the redemptive view. The redemptive view. Christians who have a redemptive view, when they look at the Bible, they look at the primary message of the Bible is God's redemption of humanity. That's a redemptive view. You could call it redemptive theology. Theology just meaning how you understand God and his relation to the world. The redemptive view. And each of these four views, when they're being developed, they always start in a different place in the Bible. They all start way back in Genesis or before. But this one, if you were going to teach it into a Christian, a group of Christians, you would start with the fall of Adam and Eve. If you're going to teach redemptive worldview, redemptive theology, where you start is you want to explain that Adam and Eve sinned, and now they need to be redeemed. And that's just, in fact, where most churches are. Most churches in America and around the world, they specialize in redemptive theology. 
They specialize in understanding humanity. And when they talk about humans, the first thing they think of, we're sinners. We've fallen. We need to be redeemed. And then everything flows from there. Where you start your understanding determines where you're going to end your understanding. So if you start at the fall of humanity where we sinned, well, then you're going to teach them through how Jesus redeemed us, but you're going to end, the end result will, people are redeemed, they're forgiven, so they'll go to heaven when they die. That worldview is the number one specialty of most Christians. They've been trained in that. Most preachers uh, present that. And I'm grateful we all believe that message. We believe, we sin, we need a Savior, Jesus Christ. The emphasis on the work of Jesus within the redemptive view is Jesus died on the cross. That's where he established redemption in a church that teaches the redemptive view. And then the eternal view is that you look up, I'm sorry, the eternal destiny is that we'll be in heaven forever. The goal is to fill heaven. Let's go up one more, okay, the second view. It's called kingdom worldview or kingdom theology. Now, I talk a lot about kingdom theology. I love talking kingdom theology. But this is just one of the four. Most churches, that's not their emphasis, As I was saying, most churches, their emphasis is just to help everyone realize they're a sinner and they need to be redeemed. But a lot of churches are much more conscious now that not only do we preach the redemption, but we preach kingdom. That Jesus Christ came to set up a kingdom and he wants to reign through us here in this earth. Now, I'm for that message. Now, when they start, they're going to start in Genesis also. But if they're trying to develop their worldview, they will usually start when God speaks to Adam and Eve and says, fill the earth and subdue it. That's the good place to start kingdom thought because God's original intentions right there are said God created humanity to rule in this earth, but because of sin, we've fallen. So not only did we get redeemed, but Jesus also came to set up a kingdom that he resurrected, ascended, he's sitting on a throne, and now he's reigning. And it's not just enough to redeem us and get us to heaven. What Jesus wants to do is to reign in our lives. He wants to reign in your life so you start having dominion. So you experience what his original intentions in Genesis 1, where you now experience dominion in your finances, in your career, in your family. You're you're experiencing dominion over sickness. You're walking around with a certain authority. You realize you're not a defeated person. You're not only saved, but you're walking around. You're part of a kingdom, and so you have a new identity. I love teaching on all that stuff. It's kingdom theology, and it's true. And more and more churches are, are not just staying on redemption. They're moving toward kingdom. And I'm excited when we get to that. Now, there's a third A third, another way where I see a lot of churches emphasizing, and it'd be referred to as warfare theology, a warfare worldview. Now, again, in Genesis, where you start is where you're going to end. And when Christians who are in a church that has a warfare mindset, normally the place they will start is even before Genesis 1-1, if you can imagine that. They'll usually start their view back with, Satan was a good angel who fell. The very foundation of their theology is an envision of Satan was a good angel who fell. And now when they embrace that view at the very foundation, it causes their entire worldview to conform to that, that the world is about a war between God and Satan. And if you and I now fit into that, well, what we are going to do is we are also warring against Satan. Now, I find most churches that emphasize that, they have a lot of intercessors. Intercessors like to think that way. 
because it's a worldview that lends to know we're praying, we're pushing, we're fighting, all that kind of thing. And I'm glad, okay, we need intercessors, but it just seems that that worldview develops intercessors, and it also causes Christians to think in a huge contrast between good and evil. Well, if you start your worldview from Satan was a good angel who fell, he's rebelled against God. So now you see God's here, Satan's here, and all of your thoughts, your understanding develops from there. There's a good God, there's a bad devil. A strong emphasis would be in in John chapter 10 where it says, this thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give life. Because they think in this huge contrast, good and bad, good and bad. And ultimately in the end, when you look at what Jesus accomplished then, what he, not only did he redeem us at the cross, but he resurrected. I'm in for that. He conquered death. He ascended in heaven. He put Satan under his feet. He's triumphant now. Yeah. And this, in the end, the envision that you would see in the end is Satan is cast into darkness, and now we're going to live free of all evil. That's kind of the worldview of warfare theology. Now, of, of all the the four that I'm present to you, I'm a little bit hesitant about warfare theology because I, I see the weakness in it. People get so caught into that warfare that, that they don't really um, engage in life. Like the kingdom message, the kingdom theology, I'm really excited how that is causing Christians to realize their calling in their life. Not only are they redeemed, but right now they're being aware. No, kingdom theology teaches all the Christians you're called. No matter what you're doing, if you're a teacher, you work in the bank, you raise kids, whatever you are, you are called of God to establish the kingdom of God. I'm excited about the kingdom message because it causes everybody to realize we have a place. We have a destiny. Where warfare theology, it does have a specialty group, and it's the warring type, okay? And, and I'm glad, you know, I depend on some intercessors. I've got one intercessor. She's been standing by our ministry for over 20 years. You know, I actually pay her a little bit every month just to pray for me. She's been doing that for years. Mary Bell, glory to God. One of those women I fear on the earth. Hallelujah. But Satan fears her more than I do. Glory to God. Okay, so she, she's been standing with us, warring away all these years. Okay, she's got a warfare mindset. I'm grateful for that. But now the the fourth one, and this is the one that I would encourage you, it's called father-son theology, father-son worldview. Now, the starting point determines your end point with all of these. Now, with your starting point, here I am in Genesis, but this actually starts before Genesis also. What was God doing in eternity past before he created this world? You know, have you ever tried to think about that? Was he floating around in some nothingness? You know, you, you wonder. Well, we really don't know hardly anything. The Bible does not tell us what he was doing in eternity past. However, there's one passage that does indicate to us his nature, his plans before he created the world. And I want you to take a minute there because this is the one I want to develop, Father-Son Theology. It's in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Now, again, there's truth in all four of these emphases. We all need redemption theology. I'm grateful for churches that that's what they teach, but I wish they wouldn't stay there, you know, because you can preach the same message every Sunday. You've got to get redeemed, you know, and the, you're preaching to the choir. They've been redeemed for years. I want them to come up to kingdom theology. 
Every now and then we ought to hear some warfare, okay? Because there is an element of warfare. But where I really wish the church would mature into is father-son theology. You know, and, and in fact, you know, I hear all of it here. Even this Sunday morning, I was hearing all of it, and I'm so excited. Ephesians chapter 1, this gives us an uh, idea of what was God doing before Genesis 1. Not really his activity, but what was in his heart. We'll start in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to start there because now he's going to tell us a little bit about But it starts by God and Father. Even before this world was created, God was the Father of Jesus Christ. That father-son relationship was established before Genesis 1. Now he goes on and he says, Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Okay, so there's something he did before this world. He chose us. He chose us from the foundation world, even before, that we should be holy and blameless. Okay, before he created the earth, he had something intended. And what he's going to do is he's, I'm going to have a people at the end of this thing. At the end of this people, I'm going to have a people who are holy and blameless. Okay, this is something he did before Genesis 1-1. And I think our starting point determines our end point, determines how you live, in fact, because you know where you're going. Jumping back to redemption theology. If Christians only learn redemption, Adam and Eve sinned, Jesus died on the cross, well, then all we think is, well, I'm going to get to heaven someday. I'm saved. There's nothing else to do. I'm just waiting around to get to heaven. Where kingdom theology, no, I'm supposed to take dominion over the earth. Yes, I'm saved, but now there's a kingdom, and now I've got something to do before now in heaven. Well, it's the same thing. Now that I'm starting this place before Genesis, what was in God's heart before he created the world? What was in his heart? He says, I am going to create this entire thing with a goal in mind because I want a people who will be holy and blameless before me. I would like you to see this coming out of the father-son heart, the father-son relationship. The father-son are together before creation. And in fact, in Colossians 1, it says that all of creation... It came through the Son for the Son. That God the Father, He was co-creator with the Son, but what was the purpose? He created it for the Son. The Father was going to give a gift to the Son. Why is this universe here? Because out of God's love, first for His Son, He wanted to give His Son a gift. Out of His love, He creates something to give to His Son and a people at the end who will be holy and blameless. One more thing he has in mind. Okay, it's, this, it's his son, the universe. That's why the universe is so big. It's a good gift. Okay? If he's going to give a good gift to his son, he's not going to give him a little thing. I mean, he is wild, this God we have. Here, take a universe. Boom. This is my gift for you today, son. And the, the very center of that universe, what captures his attention is this group of people called humans. And he says, this is where their hearts is. Because in the end, what he wants, he wants a people for himself, a bride for his son, and a temple for the Holy Spirit to indwell. He has this intentions before Genesis 1. Now, this changes things because now I look back at redemption theology, which I was trained in, okay? That was where the church raised me in, and all they would talk about were sinners, Adam and Eve fell, Jesus died on the cross, and now we're going to go to heaven when we die. And I needed that message. I couldn't have taken the next step without that message. 
But now I see it's just, it's a, it's a parenthesis inside of God's overall plan. The Bible is not just about God redeeming humanity. It's about God wanting sons and daughters. You know, I'm going to use the word son genderless, okay? Male or female, it includes them both. It's about God wanting sons that are blameless and holy before him in the end. And it's a bride for his son and a temple for the Holy Spirit to indwell. This thing comes out of love. This thing comes out of love. He then goes on in Ephesians. And he says in verse, uh, it continues, verse 4, He chose us in him before the foundation world that we should be holy and blameless in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. So here is God's original intentions from before the world was created. This is how it's going to end, he says. I'm going to have sons who are holy and blameless before me. I am going to have sons who uh, God loves, and he did it in love. He had so much love, it just got to leak out somehow. I've got to create a universe there's so much love. i just got to create people because there's so much love. So he's got love. It emanates to the sun. The sun here, this is yours. This is we're going to share together. And he's so excited. This is what I've done. Father-son theology starts with God's heart before creation. Kingdom theology starts with the dominion that we we're supposed to originally have. Warfare theology starts with Satan being a good angel fell and Redemptive theology starts with Adam and Eve's fall. But here we are saying, no, let's step back further. Because where I start is going to determine where I want to go with my life. So here is redemption as a parenthesis, as a, as a detour. Because if Adam and Eve had never fallen and you and I have never sinned, God still would have carried out his father-son plan. He still wanted children. Had we never sinned, this whole thing still would have happened. Creation would have happened. He would take us to this place where he's going to have a bride for the son, where he's going to have, a, he's going to have sons and a family for himself, and he's going to have a temple to dwell in. Because we sin, there's a detour. But the original plan didn't change. But because we sin, now he's got to redeem us, and he's got to put us back on track. Same thing about the kingdom. If Adam and Eve not sinned, if they had continued to have dominion over this earth, Jesus would not have come, had to come to restore dominion. But what he had to come to be king, to reestablish dominion so we can rule and reign with him. Had we not fallen, we would not need kingdom theology. We would not redemptive theology. Those are just short-term fix-it programs in his overall plan to have sons and daughters in the end. So... We look at this thing and say, what is the overall message? What are we here to proclaim? And I would hope that you look at this and say, wait a minute. The overall plan is I'm to rise up to be a son, a daughter of God. This is what's intentions. And he did it in love. He predestined this to happen. It's going to happen. The course of the universe, he's taken it that direction because in the end, that's what he gets. Now, each of these emphasize a different work of Jesus. With redemptive theology, I mentioned it's his death because that's where we get redeemed. If you sit in a church that only teaches redemptive, they're always going to talk about the death of Jesus because that's where he fixes the problem. But you teach the kingdom, kingdom theology, you need to teach not only he died, but he conquered death. He resurrected. He's sitting on a throne. Okay? There 
We're excited about what he did. Even with warfare theology, you still have to include what he did in conquering Satan. And now he's sitting on a throne. And now you rule and reign with him. But with father-son theology, why did Jesus come into the world? It's different. We're not negating any of the other three. But let's, let's remove those. Let's say Adam and Eve had never sinned. Would Jesus still come into this world? Yes, he would. He came into this world to be with us. God became man because he loved us, and Jesus wants a bride. Now, if you can grasp that, it's absolutely mind-blowing that God became man, not just to save us, which is something he did for us, not just to set up a new kingdom, which he did for us, but he had decided he wanted to dwell with humans forever and ever. God took on flesh. You see, when Jesus died, resurrected, ascended, he still received a body. It's a glorified body, not subject to decay, but he will have a glorified body forever. When he became man, he didn't become man for a temporary period. He is going to abide on the new heavens and new earth. He's going to dwell in Jerusalem, and you can go shake his hand someday. I mean, can, can you see that God became man? Why? Because he loves. The end goal is he wanted to be with us. And even if we, Adam and Eve, not sinned or anybody else sinned, he would still become man. That was the plan from the foundation of the world. From the foundation of the world, he wants to dwell with the people. He wants, he's so much love. He's such a lover. He says, I want a people who are going to be before me, holy and blameless. I want them at the end. And I want it for my son. I want a temple for my Holy Spirit to dwell. We're coming to earth. And we're going to dwell with these people. Now, that changes your purpose for living. Now, if I kind of understand this, I say, okay, I was raised in redemptive theology. I'm saved. So I can just wait around until I get to heaven. Then they taught me about the kingdom. Well, I can't wait around to get to heaven. Now I should establish a kingdom on earth. I need to do it in every area. Yeah. But now I remember I have a son and daughter. Well, that means now that I'm saved, I'm still moving in this direction. And I'm to live as a son and daughter of God. What does that mean? And now, in a church that really understands father-son theology, they realize, wait, I'm a son of God. I'm a son of God. The Spirit of God dwells in me. If I could just get a hold of what that meant. It changes how you do warfare. Because now you're not doing warfare as fighting. You're doing warfare as a son of God which realizes demons bow when I come around. And it, it takes away the warring mindset and puts you in a posture of, yeah. it changes how I live. It changes now the father-son relationship that he's a good dad. And the emphasis of my life now is there's a good dad walking with me, and I might go through ups and downs, but you know what? This God's going to get me through, no matter what I'm going through. When I go through difficulties, i got a father. He's Jehovah Rapha. He's Jehovah Nisi. Joseph is Ganu. He's all those things for me. And now my ongoing life is not something where I'm going to experience heaven in the future. It's no, right now, I'm walking as a son of God in the earth. And guess what? There's still a greater future. I looked then at like Romans chapter 8, where it says, okay, all of creation is groaning for the revealing of the sons of God. And it says there that as many as are led by the Spirit, these are the sons of God. The word son there 
in the original language, the Bible is written in Greek, the New Testament was, there's four different words for son. The word there is the mature son. It says the mature sons are the ones led by God, by his spirit. You see, you can get born again and you're immediately a child of God. And the word all have right to become a child of God, that's the, the Greek word behind that was a young child when you're saved. But when he talks about you're going to live by the Holy Spirit leading you, this is what mature sons and daughters do. I, I try to then understand what does it mean to be a child of God versus just somebody who's saved? What does it mean to be a mature child? Well, they're led by the Spirit. I've come to look at that and say, God, the more I become like you, the more I'm going to have your desires. My DNA is going to be like you. The more I'm becoming like you, then, then I can live in a place of freedom. And one of the main distinctions I see between people who live as sons of God versus just saved is they realize he's been transforming me into, my, into his image. I have freedom as a son to make decisions in life. And I'm not walking a tightrope, but he has put me in charge down here on the earth to bring his kingdom, yes, to do his will, to be a lover as he's a lover, but I've got a whole lot of freedom to make decisions. When I was only raised in redemptive theology, I got saved, and I thought, oh, I just have to be holy. All I've got to do is not sin the rest of my life, and I'm going to make it to heaven. This is my job, to not sin, okay? But the more I come into sonship, the more I realize I'm not walking a tightrope. In fact, that's actually a broader road than I realized, I can make decisions as a son. If I get off in the ditch, he'll discipline me. He'll, he'll get me back on course. I even make mistakes, but he's somehow going to steer him back on course. Sons and daughters have a confidence about their life where they're just aggressively going for life, knowing who they are in God, making decisions. I feel so much more that if we would jump up to this, this stature that's really been given to us, seeing the overall plan, that Christians would not be content just to be saved, but they would realize, I can live with a sense of confidence. I can live with a certain knowing things are bowing all around me because I'm a son of God. The enemy's afraid of me. I'm, I'm not in warfare theology where I'm always afraid. No, I'm in sonship where I know everything's afraid of me. I'm talking about demons and things. I'm in sonship where I want to make daddy proud. You see, back when I was a slave, I think the only way I can please God is to walk a tightrope. But as a son, I'm adventurous. I'm going for it. I want to make Daddy proud. I want to accomplish something significant with my life. And I've come to believe that sons have this attitude that says, I just want to make Daddy proud. You know, he, he's, giving, he's loosened the chains on me. I'm not on a tightrope. I don't have a collar. He's jerking. Actually, he's looking at me and saying, man, you used to make so many more mistakes. You're just doing great. Now, I want you to go for it. That this is who God is. And that we need to encourage one another to the full message. The full message that it starts as a, his initial attentions in love. He predestined that we would end up there. He's going to be sons and daughters of God. We will be a bride for the groom. He's going to have a family. And we will be indwelt by the Spirit. And I say, well, that's my destiny. That's the course I'm on now. And once I got saved, it didn't stop. So I can wait around from heaven. No, I'm learning to do that now. And as I'm learning to do that now, it just changes how I live. And I've come to believe this is the way God wants us to live. 
that you come to a place of confidence and saying, Father, I just want to give today and please you. I want to make something happen. I want to do the kind of things you would do. And God's eyes are searching the earth, trying to find someone on whose behalf he can prove himself strong. And I'm just now saying, pick me, God, pick me, God, pick me, God. I want to do something. Pick me. He said, that's very different than someone who just got redeemed. That's an understanding, you know, he's a father who wants to see his children succeed. And he wants his mature children to be led by the Spirit, to have a confidence that I'm going for it. If I get off, the Holy Spirit's going to keep on me going. But I'm just living a life of freedom. And that's what I would propose to you is God wants out of each of us. And that's our goal. That's where we're headed. And it's not an issue of trying to control anybody. It's an issue of freeing you to become what you're created to be in God in every area of society. And we're going to keep preaching the redemption. We're going to preach keeping the kingdom of God's real. You need to know your area. We're called of God. You know, we're, now time, time, you're going to fight and cast a demon out. Okay. But you know what? Sons and daughters have a different per, per, uh, perspective, a posture about their life. They realize I'm on a path and I'm predestined to end up to that place, to be conformed to his image. But you know what? I'm not waiting until then. I'm a son or daughter now. And I'm living it. We all stand up with me. Hooah. Glory to God. Yes. You're going to walk this way. You're going to talk this way. And you will see things working better. The cream rises to the top. The children of God get lifted up. They rise up. They rise up. They rise up. The message we proclaim to you is one of sonship. Hallelujah. We Hope that everyone's heard the gospel of redemption. If you're not even sure, if you actually come to that place of saying, God, I need to be redeemed. If you're not sure if you're right with God, we always want to make that available to everybody. If you're in a place you're not sure whether you're right with God, that's step number one. If today you're not sure, then I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm just going to say a prayer. Put up your hand and say, yep, I want prayer. I want to include in that prayer. Say, I want, if there's one hand, you have two hands, two hands saying, yep, I want to make sure I'm in. Make sure I'm in. Praise God. Let's all all say the prayer together, okay? To accept redemption is real simple. We simply say a prayer. You just repeat after me, would you? Dear God, we come to you. We thank you that Jesus died. Today, we accept that for our lives. We accept the forgiveness of our sins. And we thank you for saving us. Jesus, you are Lord. Amen. It's that simple. We've got good news to proclaim. Yeah. We proclaim it to the whole world. But we also have good news. There's a king. And if you will seek him first, his authority will dwell in your life. Doesn't matter what you're going through, somehow he'll get you through. Order will start coming back to your life where there's disorder. He'll help you in relationships. He'll help you with your finances. That's who King Jesus is. And we proclaim a good message. we got a good king. This kingdom gets us in righteousness, peace, and joy. But today, we don't want you to stop there either. You can live as a son and daughter of God. And that's where we all are. And I, I would just want to, I want to say a prayer. You don't need to repeat it after me. I want to say it and speak it into you to rise to another level. So, Father, we're before you today. We hear good news and we respond, Lord. 
we know truth. We know what you've done. You have called us. You chose us from before this world was even created because you wanted sons and daughters. Well, we, we're part of it, Lord. We're part of it. We jump on board. Father, we jump on board. Here we are, sons and daughters before you. We want to mature. We want to live a life, oh God, where we see fruit, where we get to please you, where we get to go with gusto, knowing you're with us, oh God, where we embrace it. And we thank you, God, for freedom to live as sons rather than slaves. We thank you, Father, that you're a good Father, and you only want the best for us. Everybody say amen. How about a hoo-ah? Yeah, hoo-ah. So walk like it, talk like it, be like it. Sons of God, we've got a message. Finally, prophetically, before I release you, um, I can't do it the way I've always done it because people prepare for that. They try to get around my plans. So prophetic ministry, sometimes, for those of you who aren't familiar, sometimes the Lord just tells a person things about others. And you just try to yield to the Holy Spirit, and the person has their heart thinking, God, please talk to me. And sometimes those things that are stirred actually mean something really significant to the person. That's what we mean by prophetic ministry. God just speaks through a person. And God speaks through everybody at different times. But when we say prophetic ministry, sometimes we just see, well, God seems to use that person quite a bit in this. So we just want to use the gift. So I, I always want to make sure it's available. Most of all, for people who are desperate. Somebody's in a situation in life where I have to have a word. I'm going to start over here. And what I'm going to do is, you know, if you can say, no one's prophesied over me in th- three years. I need a word from God today. Just over here. Is there anybody over here? Say, no, haven't been prophesied. I mean, I know you guys are prophecy hogs, okay? Most of you have got more prophecies than you want. My sister, have you not had a prophecy? Let me see if the Lord would say something, okay? Father, we come before you because we know you want to talk because you're a God of love and you give direction. Don't you give up, woman of God. Your heart's always been for me. And those others didn't understand where you were going. You had your heart for me. And you got pushed aside for a time, set on the shelf, and you wondered what I thought about you. I've never changed my mind, says God. I've never changed my thoughts about you. The enemy lied. He lied to you and says there's a door. There is no door between me and you. There's an open, an open heaven. And I've never changed, and I will love you to the end. And you got so busy, and there's stuff right at hand that you take care of. And don't, Mom, ever feel bad about doing what you're doing because you are where I want you to be. And a couple of years ago, you're making decisions that brought you to where you're today. You didn't make a mistake. I turned it all for glory. And now there's glory about you. So you stop entertaining thoughts. But it was a mistake. It was not. I turned things, my daughter, to glory. And I'm going to make this more great than you can possibly, possibly believe. And yet you will give joy to others because that's what I created in you. And I put you in the earth to cause others to come out of depression and discouragement and to find who they are in me. That's why you're in the earth. And many broken ones, especially women abused and set aside, I'm going to send you to free them. Somehow children are coming alive around you because it's your heart. And I will let you do your heart. And I chose you even for today to speak to you even before you came. And you knew this. Well, I have not changed my plans and continue, continue, because you've not made a mistake. And I'm going to sort out relationships so the pain will not be there and things will work. I hear your prayer in Jesus' name. Is there somebody in the middle who said, nobody's prophesied over me in three years, and I need a word from God today. 
I'll start first back here, sister. You're not going to stand alone. I promise you. You carry things upon you. Always the responsibility of others. You've always been there for them. But now something got taken away. Now there's a void, a hollowness. You say, God, what's now going to fill it? And I'm opening up a new door for me. You're producing. And you're having to work something with some paperwork and some computer. And you're gonna, I'm going to push you into a new position and manage you some things. And I'm going to make you go. But it'll provide and it'll be blessed. And it's going to make you more fulfilled than you costly imagine. I'm going to open up new doors. You said it felt like the rug got pulled out from under me. I felt like because I was such a giver and taking on so much responsibility. And now that's changed. Well, it's changed in a good place. You can manage things. You're fully capable. I'll put you in a place where you feel that you're now getting fulfilled, blessing them. A time when you even had an opportunity to work in ministering for a short time and then got set aside. Well, I'm going to open up doors for you and you will feel useful and functional and miss my body, I promise you. Somehow resolving things with a mother and setting your heart at peace. You did well. You did well, daughter. You took care of what needed to be taken care of. The father wound is over. You keep walking before me because you're healthier than you realize. Indeed you are. What was it your message where you had your hand up? Indeed today I, I've met your cry. And today I will continue because prayers that you've been saying for a long time are now manifesting and flourishing. And now you're going to see the next generation of fruitfulness and you will call it blessed, I promise you. And it will be blessed even because of the heritage that comes through you. And you stopped the curse, but you continued with the blessing. You fought it off, you fought it off, and therefore it cannot flow through you to those you love. You stopped it. But it was a war, and you paid a price, and you had to sacrifice, and even a piece of your heart left in order to pay the price to where you're at. Now, mother in the house of God, believe in others because they love how you believe in them. They believe in themselves just by your statements, just by how you look at them. I love that, says God. And I will be Jehovah Jireh. I've always been Jehovah Jireh for you. And here you are building others. And some of the, both the men and the women, they look to you and they have a new grace on their lives simply by knowing you. If you would know your presence is what's powerful now, I would use you everywhere your foot goes. You shall be secure within your home, I promise you. There's somebody over here who say, nobody's prophesied over me in three years. I need a word. My brother in the back. And indeed, here's a zealot. Here's one who wants to go all the way. Here's one who wants to see the real. And somehow a decision of life to say I'm running has been made even this weekend. Again, he decided, here am I, Lord, send me. But I, I'm going to do big things. And I'm going to open up nations to you. And you're not going to be in just one location. First, I will open up doors, even for the natural, in a business realm. But I'll open them up also for ministry. But it'll take one step, then the other step. And you're going to raise as a family blessed around you. And I promise you, you will get all these benefits. Don't settle for little things. You know you're fully capable. The technical abilities that you've got, the training you've got, you've got to finish it. And then you're going to say, I'm being promoted. And I boldly declare to you, you will speak across the cultural barriers. You will cross and speak into other nations. Because I do not have small things for you, brother. Keep on going. Then the wound of one who does not know how to understand you, I will heal it. I promise you. And it will be fully restored. You have learned how to share your heart. And that's what I had to make you do. And that's what I did even this last Christmas season. When you were not able to, I made something crush in you. So now you're not afraid to open up. If you would continue to risk sharing, I will cause a fullness of your heart. The fullness where you're not having to force it with others. 
But you say, God, I know how to communicate now because of you. Was there one more hand over here? Sister here. Great grace, great grace. Taking others. Here's the one fully capable. Running things, putting things together. But I've got a dream and a plan that you've dreamed about for a long time but not had the courage to go out and do. I'm going to make that thing happen. And even you're going to say, well, I'm going to keep where I'm at for about a year, but about this time next year, you start putting this thing together and there's some contracts to sign, some paperwork to do, and I will let you do it. And then the wound of another who did not understand, things got warfare and turmoil. and You worked it through. And now you're on the other side of this. And I am speaking into the situation to turn things back. So, so you will say, God, you have put me in your arms and carried me through this. At this stage that you're at, you follow it through because he'll take care of you. Somehow, too, I promise you will not be hurt through this thing that you've gone through. I promise you I will protect him and guide them. But you can teach. You can stand up confidently before people. And I'm going to use all those gifts in the future. So don't you back down. Because you've got to use these things. You've got to stand up and be that creator in the midst of my people, creator in the community beyond the walls of my people here also. That's where I send you. And comes forth to you a beauty and a grace, comes forth out of you a creativity that has to change the things that I put in you to change. Young ones are hurting. They're crying. And I put your heart, my heart in you to see their needs met. And you will do it. And you will oversee the foundation that makes this thing happen. In the end, that's where I will take you. You let me do it. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I think we've done what we're supposed to do. You prophecy hogs. I know everybody wants prophecy, okay? So I'm going to turn it back over to Pastor Zach. Okay? Love you guys. Bless you. Come on. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Will you please be seated?